0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So when I was in college, uh, I had the worst job I've ever had in my life. I did telemarketing for a short period of time hated it it is the one job that i hated the most and that i was the least successful at okay it was i just was terrible at it because and the particular thing that we were trying to push on people was we're cold calling people hello mister and if you've never done telemarketing before it's awful just you know because you've been on the receiving end of these before. It is equally awful on the other end of this, especially if you're like me and you're terrible at it. So you're sitting there in front of a screen, and as soon as you put the phone down in one call, another person's random name comes up, and you're like, please be an easy name to pronounce. That's the one prayer I would pray every five seconds at this place. And so the name would pop up, and you would say, hi, Mr. Smith, uh, do you have a second? You wouldn't even say that. You'd have a script you follow on the screen, and you would. We, were pushing, you were, we would say, hey, you're pre-approved for a credit card. It's like the worst. Why would you do this, you know? But I was doing it to make money as a broke college kid. And uh, I was terrible at it and didn't do it very long. Uh, Some people, I will not name names, but they are in this room. They did it with me in college. You can probably narrow it down. But if I mention this person's name, I have to give this person a massage later today. It's a rule that we have. I'm not going to mention, and this is probably cheating, but anyway. So this person who will remain nameless was very good at this Ponzi scheme that we call telemarketing. (laughs) She could literally sell anything to anyone, clearly. I mean, she, we had this board, and it was so terrible for me, because we would have this board where when you, would make, when you would make a sale, you'd go up to this marker board and put a notch next to your name, a tally mark. And of course, mine is continually empty. There's nothing next to my name, ever. Uh, and her, it's just, and I'm like, what are you, how, how is this possible? But anyway, she was good at it, and I was, I was not good at it. The reason I mentioned this is because we try to sell ourselves all the time. And like telemarketing, we try to sell ourselves on really bad things all the time. We try to talk ourselves into making a decision that we know is going to be terrible for us all the time. So we're in this series called Getting Out of Your Own Way and we're going to look at this idea for the next 2 weeks. So I was I had A three-week series planned, and I was almost completely finished with prepping for this week's message, and God dropped a couple of extra ideas in my brain, and so I had to split it into two. So we'll do one part this week, and then we'll pick it up next week as well. Today we're going to look at, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to excuse our excuses. I'm going to challenge you to excuse your excuses. Because here's what happens. Last week, we looked at the idea of paying attention to the tension. So when I feel when I have a decision to make, I'm about to make a decision, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. We, I encouraged you, pay attention to that feeling, that uneasiness about that decision that you're going to make or that relationship that you're going to start or continue in or that thing that you're going to do that you're like I don't know just stop and pay attention to that tension. That was the idea from last week. So we're going to take it one step further today and we're going to look at why is it sometimes that we feel that tension and yet we do the terrible thing anyway. Why is it that we know it's the wrong thing to do To our own detriment, yet we just do it anyway. This week, we're going to look at really four main excuses that we try to sell ourselves that push us over the edge and push us down a road we don't want to go, but we do anyway. Why do we do this? So we're going to look at four excuses this week, kind of right before we make a terrible decision, and then next week, we'll look at four excuses that we give after we've messed up. After I've gotten in my own way, what are four lies that I tell myself to say, well, I did it because... Blank. That's next week. So, today is before we get in our own way. So, this week is still preventative. So, this is very important, okay? There are four main, and there are more, but there are four we're going to cover today. Four things we try to sell ourselves on, excuses that we're going to show the door. We're not going to excuse our behavior. We're going to show our excuses the door. Say, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm going to fight that urge. So, the first one is before we even, kind of when we're in the mode of I'm going to do this terrible thing or make this terrible decision, we tell ourselves, I'll never do that. This is in relation to someone else's mistake. We look at somebody else wreck their lives, and we say, oh, no, no, I would never do that. And how often, though, do we find ourselves in a very similar situation, not that far removed from saying this statement? It happens all the time. Let me give you an example from Scripture, and it covers three different generations of fathers in the Old Testament. So we start with Abraham, the father of Judaism. So God promises him a son in his old age, but God wasn't working fast enough for him, right? So he takes matters into his own hands, since his wife can't bear children. He takes one of his servants, and she bears him a child. Not a good idea. And God says, hey, that wasn't the plan. why did you get in your own way? And so then God still says, okay, I'm going to do a miracle in your your old age, in your wife's old age, even though she can't have children, she's going to bear you the son of the promise. So Isaac, his second son, is born. But what Abraham does is he plays favorites with his children. This is the theme that we're going to see here. So, He decides this son is the son of promise, so I'm going to kick this other son and his mom out. So that's what they do. He kicks them out of the house into the wilderness to just fend for themselves. So this is problematic on a personal family level. This is messed up, right? But that's what Abraham does. He gets in his own way. But this even trickles down and has even modern-day ramifications because religiously, as you look, the Jewish race and then Christians, by and large, from that look to... Abraham and then Isaac and his descendants as our founders. However, the nation of Islam looks to the other son of Abraham as their founder. So we have this tension that still exists today because Abraham got in his own way. So look to this, this, his son Isaac. Guess what? He's lived this division. He's lived this terrible ordeal of playing favorites with children. So he has twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And you would think that Isaac would say, I'm not going to repeat my dad's mistake because I lived through that. That was awful. That was embarrassing. That was terrible. I would not want to put my sons through that. However, he does exactly that, doesn't he? He picks a favorite. Esau, the older son, is his favorite. He doesn't like you know, hint at this, he makes it very clear that he has a favorite kid. Parents, do not do this, okay? It's a bad idea. Uh, Now, from time to time, you can pick a favorite, but you got to flip and flop. You got to be fair, okay? I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, you got to at least fake, no, 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 I'm giving you terrible parenting advice, no. So, Isaac picks a favorite, and what happens is So Jacob becomes a mama's boy, he's mom's favorite, okay, and that puts the family against each other, so much so that the younger son Jacob tricks his older by like a second because they're twins, out of his inheritance, out of his blessing. He tricks their dad into giving the blessing to the wrong kid. So then the favorite son chases his brother around the nation for 20 years trying to find him and kill him. And it all started because Isaac thought, well, I'll never repeat the mistakes that my dad made. And yet he easily, quickly, clearly did. So then Jacob has 12 sons and one daughter. And you would think that Jacob would look at two generations of favorite children syndrome and all of the pain that it causes, all of the heartache that it causes. And you would think he would say, and he may have, I'll never do that. The one mistake that my dad and my grandpa made, I am not going to make that same mistake. I would never be that foolish. I would never be that silly to do that. And yet, guess what happens? Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Ah, Okay, right? It's because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a technicolor dream coat. That's not what that translation says, but you get the idea. A beautiful robe. His brothers hated Joseph, right? So we're seeing here the same problem. Same problem. They hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And so then, if you know the story, you know what happens. They're so jealous, they decide, let's kill him wow, let's kill our brother, and then one of them says, well, let's, we don't want it blood on our hands, let's throw them into, they throw them into a well, decide what to do with them, then they see a caravan passing, they sell their brother into slavery. Now, that, that's on the brothers, right? They should not have responded that way, and so if you if you have siblings, I'm not trying to give you any ideas of what to do, um, what not to do is really what we're talking about here, right? But, so it's on the brothers, they made this decision, however, it goes back to their father, and his father, they're saying, I would never do such a thing. Who would do that? And yet, clearly, easily, how quickly they fall into this same trap. So we're, when we say this, don't, don't overestimate yourself, okay? That's what we're doing. When we, say, when we look at someone else's disaster of a life, and we kind of look down on them and say, man, they really blew it, didn't they? They had every opportunity for success, and yet they just couldn't get their act together. I would never make a decision that was that dumb. I would never behave that foolishly. I would never do that. And then just, just watch, because here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Because what we do, and we have this mindset as we sort of build up this resistance to, to the idea of anything, I'm, I'm ever going to make a mistake. We look at so many people making so many mistakes and think, I'd never do that, I'd never do that, and then we find ourselves facing those dilemmas, and usually we fall into the same traps we've seen others do that we said we'd never do. We underestimate our own humanity, we underestimate our own frailty, and we overestimate our own goodness, so we have to be very careful that we don't use this as an excuse to step into a mess, to get in our own way because our pride says, oh, I'd never do that, and then we end up doing it we don't want to fall into that trap the second uh, excuse that we're going to excuse today is this one something that we might tell ourselves well i can stop anytime i want so this is early on you maybe feel that tension about a decision or a moment in time and you're you're like oh i can you know i can quit anytime i want i can stop i have total control and it's like well then why are you spiraling that's kind of the question this example from scripture is a very famous guy, uh, Judas, one of the disciples of Jesus. He, I'm sure in his mind, you had thought this at one point. Here's where we, here's basically all that we know about Judas, we find here in John 12. So John 12, verse four, John writes this, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus said, so this woman comes in and pours perfume on Jesus's feet and washes his feet uh, with her hair. So that's what's happening in this beautiful moment of worship. Judas is thinking about the money, and we know why. It says, Judas says this, that perfume was, a, was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. But then John tells us, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. We know very little about Judas, and this is what we know about him the treasurer embezzles the ministry's funds. That's the headline. That's on the tombstone of Judas. Treasurer of Jesus embezzles ministry funds. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure it started small and maybe even innocently, right? Maybe he, you know, nagged a candy bar at the checkout and put it on Jesus's dime, right? Personal expense with company money. Maybe it was, hey, my, my family back at home, they're suffering. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forward them some of the cash from, from, our, from our bank account to them, and we'll just, I'll cook the books a little. It's not a big deal. But somewhere along the way, what was small and innocent turned into something huge in his heart, It turned into greed it turned into hey i can pull some back for me this is pretty nice i can make a good living i can have a retirement fund on jesus's dime and so he did this and it was i'm sure this is this was written after uh this event happened but i'm sure some of the guys are thinking you know this doesn't add up like judas has some really nice kicks and we're all poor like what is the deal here like he he like we have to go to the outlet mall and he's going like, you know, to the fancy shop. How, how is he doing this? And so I'm sure he wasn't sneaky about it. He was as much as he could. But I, I would almost guarantee that he at, the, at some certain moments felt the tension that we talked about last week. Something, that, this is not right. I know this is wrong. And he would justify it and justify it. I can stop anytime. time. Okay, this is the day where I, I'm going to just stop. I'm going to come clean. It's going to be over. I'm going to fresh start. I'm going to tell Jesus it'll be fine. He'll forgive me. He has to because he's Jesus, right? Pretty big advantage that Judas had here. But he said it, but didn't really mean it. Clearly, because what this leads to is eventually ultimate betrayal. He is so driven by greed that just pulling a little bit out for himself wasn't enough. And he knew, man, I've got a cash cow right here. His name is Jesus. I know there are some very powerful rich people who would like information about him, and I'm sure they'll pay a pretty penny for this information. And that's exactly what he does, right? For a price, which is not even that much. He turns over, he betrays Jesus to the religious authorities for money. He was driven by greed, even though he probably said, oh, I can stop anytime, I can stop. He didn't stop until he betrayed Jesus. That's like a, you know, he's fallen way off the cliff a long time ago to get to this point. He tricked himself, he fooled himself into believing things like this, but it never really came true because he never really believed it in his heart. And I would caution us with the same thing. Don't try to sell yourself on this. If you find yourself going down the road, don't just say, I can stop any time I want. I would say, well, if you can, then just do it, right? Nike that thing and just stop. Like, if you can, what's holding you back? It's really in our heart. We're just using it as a front for our behavior. We're using it as a front for self-destructive behavior if we're not careful. We're, we're, much too, we're, we're far too much like Judas if we're not careful, We need checks and balances in our lives. We need um, guardrails in our lives. We need boundaries that we put up in our lives that when we bounce into it, whoa, I'm going the wrong, let's just get back on course. Because what happens is when we use this excuse too often, we remove those boundaries and guardrails and we say we can stop until we can't anymore, which is we'll get get to in just a second. And again, my, my encouragement would be If you say you can stop and you know that you're going down a self-destructive road, why are you not stopping? What is keeping you from stopping? Which then that leads to the third excuse that we use that we're going to show the door today. And it's the inverse of this, which maybe is even more common. And that is, I can't stop. Like I've tried and tried and tried and I can't kick this habit or I can't quit behaving in that way or I can't get away from these relationships and I've tried and I really have and maybe you really have but you feel like I just can't. So maybe the inverse is more true. And I'm going to use sort of a a small lower level and then we'll get to kind of big issues and we'll tackle both ends of this because I know maybe our minds go on this one and it's easy to excuse it this way, I can't stop but we'll see why that's not always completely valid. So things even like, oh, I have a temper because I'm Irish. You ever heard that one before or maybe used that one before? That's what we're saying. I know this behavior is bad. I know it's negative. I know it's harmful and destructive to others and me, but I have a reason why I do it, and I will not stop doing it, right? Or we will say, well, I behave this way because it's how I was raised. And I would say, Do your parents have, like, magical powers over you that they control your move now when you're an adult on your own with your own brain and your own emotions and your own actions? No. So we use these types of excuses, and we don't say it this way. Well, I can't. Sometimes we do say I can't stop. But really, it's these small little things that we kind of trick our brain. We trick our heart into going into self-destruct mode because, oh, I just can't help myself. I can't stop. Or we would say, well, yeah, I'm just opinionated because I have a First Amendment right to voice what I think. Let me just give a civics lesson really quick. First Amendment means the government can't stop you from speaking, but that doesn't mean you can't stop yourself from speaking, okay? There's a different... We sometimes will use, I have a right, okay, you can, just because you, and I must sound like your parent for a second, okay? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. See, we know. See, again, we know when our behaviors are self-destructive. 99% of the time, we know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. We know it. It's instinctive in our hearts, in our spirits, in our mind, in our emotions. So here's, here's the, well, I'll just say this. So we, we say, I can't stop Many times it comes down to I won't stop, okay? Romans 7, here's how Paul explains this phenomenon in our hearts, and he says this. Romans 7, we'll start at verse seventeen and or 18 and 19. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it. Anyway, skip down to verse 24. Then at the end of this, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he gives the answer. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Many times if we look at this verse, he starts out with, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I, 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 I don't want to do what is wrong, but I can't. I want to do what is right, but I don't. Many times we say, I can't control myself, or I can't stop. But in reality, most of the time, we choose not to. Especially as a person of faith, we have the Holy Spirit. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Because God knows, really, I know that you can't control yourself. And I know that you won't control yourself. I'm going to give you an advantage as one of my people, one of my followers is, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you. When you can't or won't control yourself, you can lean into his power, and he will help you with the can't and won't of controlling ourselves. Now, let me get into a, a, a little more serious vein here, and that is this idea, maybe there is a severe addiction that you or someone you know is facing. This is where it gets into like the, the line between can't and won't sometimes gets really blurry here. Maybe you really cannot. Maybe you know someone who really cannot. So they have no ability to control themselves. And they've tried and, and they've, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. There's always another avenue. There's always another way to seek some sort of help. And that, and that sounds cliche, but it's true. If you can't help yourself, find someone or something that can help you to control yourself, maybe for you for a time. You, but... Again, that's where it comes down to that has to be sort of this volitional response. I have to seek out this help or I, I have to come to grips, right, that I can't control it and seek help. Uh, maybe there is an actual disorder that you face or that someone you know is facing and they, they, you or they really can't control this this urge or this thought or this behavior or they can't they just they're spiraling so far so here's the thing there are other avenues there's counseling there there is medication okay god gives us these sort of these natural you know means of grace by which we can come to grips with what's going on that i can't control this but god makes a way really every time so let me just echo what i said last week not every bad thing that happens to us is our fault Okay, so I don't want to come across and just stop it, you know, that's not really a cure here, okay? However, so not every bad thing that happens is our fault. However, every reaction that we have and every choice that we make, we do have to own. I do have to own if I don't respond to this terrible thing in a good way if it if it beats me down so far that i just can't even and i choose not to reach out for assistance or help or guidance or direction from anyone or anything then that is really sort of to some degree on me so it is important that we see there is this personal responsibility aspect right we're talking about getting out of our own way I'm, we're not talking about removing every obstacle from your life that sermon doesn't exist i'm not talking about how to live a problem-free life that life doesn't exist. However, our responses, our reactions, and our actions will determine what course we take, and it will lead to a certain destination. We talked about it last week. Every step we take in life is important because it leads to a specific destination. Every decision that we make results in a specific outcome, and we are responsible for that destination and that outcome. So we can't use this excuse completely, well, I just, I just can't stop, okay? Okay. God gives emergency breaks in our lives at times just for this reason. And there's a story. This wasn't planned, but there's a story. You may have heard this before. There was a man and the the rain was coming and the town was flooding. And the man cries out to God and says, hey, God, save me, save me. And so, you know, the radio report comes through and says, hey, the town's going to flood. Go ahead and get out while you still can. He's like, no, I'm going to wait it out. I've lived here my whole life. I'm just going to, I'll be fine. And so then the waters you know come up and he's like well, this is not good but i can't get out now and so this guy comes across in a boat and he says hey come on in well i'll get you to safety we'll find somewhere to go he's like no i'm gonna wait it out i think i think i'll be okay i'll be fine no, go ahead without me so the guy on the boat leaves the waters the rain keeps coming the water keeps rising and the man has to get up on his roof it's the the town's flooded and so then a guy in a helicopter comes and he says hey come on i got a ladder and i'll get you out of here and we'll go to safety somewhere and the guy says no no i'll be all fine i think it's i think it's you know gonna recede i'll be okay and the guy in the helicopter goes away so the flooding gets to such a degree that the man actually drowns he dies so when he goes to heaven he says hey i need an appointment with god <laughs> and so he's like okay uh, i've got all eternity i can get you in right now so it goes to god and he says hey god when the flood came i cried out for help where were you why didn't you save me why did i die why am i here and God said, well, I gave you a radio report that the flooding was getting bad to get out. I sent you a guy on a boat to save you. I sent a guy in a helicopter to save you. Why, why didn't you take either one of those options I gave you? Many times we live life this way. God, help me. He's sending him, he's emergency break. He's sending these signals. He's sending all the help that we can take. And if we don't take it, then we're going to get in our own way. Self-destruction is just around the corner. Here's the fourth and final one. Sorry, this is kind of a bummer today, but maybe it'll be helpful, you know, later on in this week. But anyway, here's the fourth uh, excuse that we want to show the door today. And this is the one right before we're about to make that crucial error. This is kind of the last ditch excuse that we lie to ourselves right before hitting, you know, the big red button that explodes our life into pieces. And that is this. I deserve this. We've gone through all these other excuses that now there's nothing left. Well, I just deserve this. We see this in the Old Testament again, 2 Samuel 11, very famous story from the life of King David. It says this, Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a beautiful, a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and she, he, he was told she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when when she came to his palace, he slept with her. So what David did here is he saw something that he wanted, he knew he couldn't have it, and he took it anyway. All along the way, he's got to be using this excuse. There's no other reason. There's no other reason that he would act so out of character. This excuse in David's mind, I deserve this, would be, you know what, I've, I've been a square my whole life. I deserve this one moment. Like, I've obeyed God's laws and commands all my life. I deserve this thing, right? He's thinking, you know, I, I've been a faithful king to my people. I don't, you know, I don't get a lot. He's the king. He's like the richest, most powerful man probably on earth. But I deserve this one little thing, right? He's lying on so many levels in his own brain. And he's probably like, you know, I'm chosen by God. I got his stamp of approval. I'm probably fine. He'll probably be okay with this. And so he sees what he wants that he can't have, and he takes what he wants even though he can't have it because he he deserved it. Never mind the sin involved. Never mind the betrayal. So if you don't know, this woman who lives, again, pretty close to him, unless he's got a really good telescope across town, maybe he's a creepy king, I don't know, kind of is. So this woman, his her husband, Uriah, is one of David's, what they call, mighty men, like one of his secret soldier kind of dude, like one of his BFFs. It's like betrayal of the ultimate degree here. Never mind the heartache and the drama that that are involved and that will ensue. And we'll actually pick up on this story next week as we continue on with four sort of excuses of what we say after we've gotten in our own way. So we'll come back to the story next week. This idea of, I deserve this, we do this all the time. We do this all the time we for whatever reason just like David well I I behave most of the time I'm I'm occasionally I can have a wild hair if I want right or like you know we whatever the reason is Uh, I don't get paid enough so I can do this with my company's money like Judas did any sort of thing we justify behavior and that's a big one I just I just deserve it I'm just gonna do it I know I shouldn't again we know most of the time what we should and shouldn't do but we still do it anyway let me just say this about what we deserve and this is important all any of us deserve is judgment and punishment from God okay so anything above that is a blessing not an entitlement I can't stress that enough We think, and I think this is sort of a 21st century Western culture idea of what we deserve. Although even it was in an ancient Eastern culture with David, we think, well, I I can do what I want, so I should do what I want at all times. No one can stop me. No one can tell me I can't. I have certain freedoms and abilities, and I can I can do it. I just deserve it. Not really. We deserve judgment and punishment from God. That's it. That's what we deserve. Everything above that is grace everything above that is a blessing. Everything above that is mercy, right? And so it's not an entitlement. I'm not entitled to anything. So if, if God says that's off limits, I need to say, all right, I guess I'm just going gonna, gonna to listen. I don't want to, like we have that tension. We have that urge to fight back. Fight it, right? Like we said last week, pay attention to the tension. Excuse your excuses. Don't use them but show them the door. Say, you know what? I'm not going to justify this. I know it's wrong. I know it's terrible. I know it's harmful to me and to others. So I'm going to fight the urge to give these excuses of why I can or should do this that I know is just self-destructive. Most of the time, we know that to be the case. We rarely have to sell ourselves on a bad idea. Again, we're terrible self-salesmen. So you can try to weasel your way and talk your way into that, and sometimes we do but you don't have to because you know it's a bad idea. Why are you talking yourself into this? If it's a good idea, you just know instinctively, let's do that. That's better for me. It's better for them. It's better for all of us to choose this or behave in this way or say no to this. So if you want to get out of our own way and stay out of our own way, we have to learn to excuse our excuses.